What is up, everybody? It's JJ. I hope you guys had the best Thanksgiving. We had a wonderful time. We were in Tennessee, and I am definitely full and definitely hitting the gym this week, trying to get back into some cardio because those COVID love handles came back in full force. So here we are. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not a big New Year's resolution dude. I actually think, though, this year, I really want to get a head start on that New Year's habit and start hitting the gym and building a healthier habit with my diet. Part of that is because I want to show up to Heart of Dating Conference looking good. You know, I I want my arms to be filling out those sleeves. And most importantly, I just I don't really want a big pot belly on stage. Okay, so that is me. I hope you guys had a great time. I missed you guys. And today's episode is super awesome because if you are a dude or if you are a female, I know we have a lot of females listen to this shout out. If you females have a dude in your life, a little brother, a big brother, a cousin, a guy in the community group that you really care about and you can see this problem, go ahead and shoot this episode their way. Because if you are a guy listening to this episode today and you look at me and you admit in humility that you struggle with passivity, complacency, procrastination, today's episode is for you. And let me go ahead and start out this episode with one thing. You ready? I am not qualified to speak to this. I am not. And the most humble way ever, when I say that I'm preaching to myself in this episode, I mean I am preaching to myself Because I need this message just as much as you. I need to hear this on a daily basis. Why? Because this is the kryptonite for every single man, for every man who's dating, for every man who's in engagement, and for every married man. Our kryptonite as men started in Genesis. Genesis 2 where Adam and Eve had the apple, the temptation, Eve was deceived. And as Eve was being deceived, guess what happened? Adam was there and he watched. He watched. He was passive. So that is the backbone for us and our scripture today. That is where we're going to be leaning and drawing from. So that being said, I hope that's a good hook. I hope you guys are interested to stay around. We're going to go ahead and jump into today's episode and welcome to the Hearted Dating Podcast, the Mini Mansoed Fridays. I'm JJ Tomlin and we are jumping in. So today's intro segments, let's go ahead and do a little bit of housekeeping items. Hearted Dating Conference, you already know, February 18th and 19th. If you are a single dude coming to the conference and you need guys to stay with, go ahead and hit me up on Instagram. JJ Tomlin, DM me. I will drop you into our group. There's a group of dudes planning a big Airbnb or some hotel blocks. Go ahead. I'll loop you in. I promise they are cool dudes. They're not weird, okay, like me. They're cool and they're just sticking together because that's what mogs do, okay? Number two, we got TSA. It's rolling. If you guys haven't checked it out, Go ahead and hit me up on Instagram. We have a seven-day free trial going on for the masterclass this month. 
This masterclass that we just did yesterday was on godly community. And my favorite part about that is whether you have godly community or you don't, it's for everyone, meaning we can always level up our godly community, okay? And we have a role in that to play. What I'm loving in my life, a couple things for you guys. Spiritually, I've been learning a lot more about the peacemaker versus the peacekeeper. The peacemaker versus the peacekeeper. Keep in mind, the scripture is, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. You might be sitting here saying, what's the difference? Well, that's what we're learning. A peacemaker is willing to resolve outer and inner conflict to establish peace with others and self. This means that they have to engage with the other person. They have to share the truth about their feelings. They arrive at a reconciliation point with the other party. That's funny because a peacekeeper will maintain or, quote, keep the peace by avoidance of both internal conflicts, right? They're just going to stuff. They're going to suppress. They're going to compartmentalize. And externally, they're not going to bring up anything, right? That's keeping the peace, quote unquote, keeping the peace internally and externally. They give in to the tension. They appease. They don't rock the boat. They sacrifice internal peace to maintain the facade of peace. Which are you? Some of us more naturally might lean towards one or the other. I 100% am a peacekeeper in heart. So I have to really have a lot of courage and action and proactivity into being a peacemaker. Lifestyle-wise, this is so funny. Once you guys are married, here's a little heads up. People still gift cookbooks, okay? People still gift cookbooks. We got a bunch of people who randomly gifted us cookbooks, and I literally laughed at Kate. I was just like, I can't believe people still send these. Guess what? We use them now on a weekly basis, and they are awesome. They're so much easier than like the online blogs where you have to scroll through 10 pages about why this breakfast casserole is so special to their family. That's just been super fun. And then as a side note, this is so funny, maybe for some of you guys, I just cured our cast iron pan, which is just basically coating it in oil, and then you bake it for an hour above its, quote, smoking point which creates this process called polymerization. Polymerization. I'm not very good with big words. But basically, this creates a nonstick surface because the oil bonds to the pot. And because you have that nonstick surface, you can then cook meat and protein, which have a tendency to stick to the pan more. If you can kind of envision those pans that you've probably ruined, especially when you cook chicken or steak, it just really sticks to the pan. That's because there's not a nonstick surface. I don't know. Maybe some of you guys are enjoying learning about curing a cast iron pan. The funniest thing about a cast iron pan is that you get a cast iron pan and you're like, oh, great. I can't wait to have a cast iron pan. Now I have to take care of it and have all this additional work because I have a cast iron pan. Like I really don't enjoy that part, but I've enjoyed learning about it. Okay, that's enough about cast iron pans and curing them, okay? Lastly, for media, one thing that you guys are going to die laughing at, Kate got me hooked on the show. It's her fault. This is like Adam and Eve, right? In passivity, I let her watch and then I jumped in. She's been watching Love is Blind and I just can't help but watch. It's so dumbingly addicting and frustrating. But here is what I will say. 
Watch this show, Love is Blind, with the lens of this. Look for the red flags and the cultural attitude of self-serving. It's such a good snapshot on a cultural perspective of dating because every single phrase, whether it's about the other person, their date, the engagement, every single phrase is centered on self. How does this person fulfill me? How does this person make me happy? How does this person check my boxes? They are exactly what finally completes me. They are what I have been looking for to serve me, complete me. It's such a good snapshot of a cultural perspective on dating where everything is to serve me. And that's our flesh. That, like, that is such a good snapshot of our flesh left to its tendencies in dating. We quickly 100% make it about us. So moving forward, my last segment today, which I love so much, is in my DMs, okay? So here's the question. Quick cue, JJ, any tips for talking to somebody online? You think they are Christian, but you're not so sure. How do you go about respectfully asking in a way that is, quote, respectful or conversational to see about their faith and if they're really a Christian? This is such a great question. I really love it because as Christians, we really desire to align with someone and partner with someone who is running the race, right? pursuing Christ at the same pace that we are. So you can't obviously say that on the third question. How how aggressively, how seriously are you pursuing Christ, <laughs> right? I think there's a really easy way we can make this more conversational. One of my favorite questions here is this. Ask them, what do you like to do on Sundays? What does a perfect weekend look like for you? Isn't that such an awesome opportunity for them to say, you know, on Saturday, I love to hike. I love to do this. I love to do that. On Sunday, a perfect Sunday for me is I go to church. I have a wonderful time serving in the children's ministry. And then I just love my community and where I'm at on Sundays. On Sunday afternoons, I love to maybe practice a Sabbath. I love to maybe hang out with my community group, get ready for the week, run errands, XYZ. Isn't that such a good snapshot of their weekend? You're getting to know them. You're getting to know the things that they like and enjoy. And really, you know, if somebody's pursuing Christ to a level that we really love and desire, a perfect Sunday should involve some kind of capacity, some kind of involvement in church. And so it's a really good snapshot of their life where they can share about those details and you can get a really good pulse on how they run their weekends. Okay, so today's episode. That was such a long intro segment, but we got about 15, maybe 20 minutes. Kate's always getting on to me because these mini-sodes are not so many, but I can't help it. You know, I just love talking to you guys, and I think you guys have enjoyed it too, so just don't tell her or complain about it, okay? So before we jump in, I want you to think about this statement. In the U.S., specifically in the Western Christian world, Christian men don't have a belief problem we have a complacency problem. Christian men do not have a belief problem. We have a complacency problem. And if you think about that statement, it's a really cool maybe picture of, we say we believe X, Y, Z. We say we believe the gospel. We say we want to partake in the Great Commission. But that's the easy part. That is the statement of beliefs The hard part is the 99.9% of the time of our life that's based on action, 
where we have a complacency problem. So if you guys think about this word complacency, I think there's a lot of synonyms, but I would say we need to really look at this word complacency. And what's actually really interesting is the single man's kryptonite should really just be relabeled as this, the man's kryptonite, which is complacency. And to think about complacency from a Christian perspective, I want to introduce an old-fashioned word for you that's forgotten in the attic of the past of Christian lingo. You almost never hear this word, but what is the opposite of complacency? Are you ready? The word is zeal, Z-E-A-L. And if I asked you guys to define the word zeal in your head immensely right now, how would you define zeal? So this word used to be a popular Christian term. And as a Christian man, I want you to ask yourself this. Do you struggle with too much complacency or do you struggle with a lack of zeal? So what's so funny about this is immediately we've changed the entire conversation As men, we love to logically say, I have an X problem. I need the antidote. I need the antidote. I have a complacency issue. I need a habit improvement framework. I need a a powerful, practical, tip-filled podcast where I can attack my complacency roots and change my life. See, the problem with this is it will never work. This framework and the attacking the behavior pattern like this, it never works. These frameworks, they don't work. What I want to do today is introduce a new framework, which is we actually have a zeal issue and it's not because we have a lack of zeal and we actually don't have an absence of zeal. You see, when God created us, he created all of us with an unbreakable zeal because guess what? We are all zealous for something in our life. Yes, let me say that again. We are all zealous for something in our life. It might be God. It might be the gospel. But guess what? It also might be sports. It might be hobbies. It might be movies. It might be pleasure. You see, zeal is all about what we love and it's against what we hate. We don't have a zeal problem. We have a misapplication of zeal in our life problem. You see, the misapplication of zeal is the heat on our stove that we all have, and we just get to choose what pot we put over it. When we put our spiritual pot over that zeal, that hot plate, it brings our spiritual life to a boiling point where it causes our affections for God to come to such a a overboiling, overfilling place that we pursue what delights God and we fight against what dishonors him. You see, zeal is that spiritual heat, the spiritual energy, the spiritual joy that spills out through the godly fruits of the Spirit and love, joy, hope, peace, and so on. The fruits of the Spirit are an overspilling, a literal fruit, like it's a produce, an actor, after effect of the Spirit being zealous in our life. It affects every part of our Christian life. It makes us zealous in the way we love and the way we give. We're zealous in the way that we express hope, zealous in every area, every characteristic, and every fruit of the Spirit that is produced afterwards. 
So I hope that analogy made sense. Isn't that so interesting? When we look at that stovetop of our life, we don't have a cold stovetop problem. We, as humans, all have zeal, which means we all have a hot stovetop. We are just choosing what we're putting over it, and we have a misapplication of that zeal. So I love that snapshot because it totally changes our picture of contentment, of passivity, and of complacency. So here we are today. You are a human, I, you know, probably man, but maybe female who's still listening on. You're a human being listening, and we can all admit one thing in our life. If we're truly being honest, we can all admit one thing. We have all, at some point or another, misapplied our zeal. Let me say that again. At some point or another, we have all misapplied our zeal, which is exactly what I would say leads to the spiritual complacency that we are talking about. It is the absence of zeal. You think about that pot of water, that spiritual pot. Well, the pot is ice cold. The absence of zeal means we have taken it off that hot plate and we've put it on a cold one. It might be a little warm. And what's funny about this is I personally see a lot of like lifestyle habits, practical tips, practical changes, but I've never seen messaging for complacency as a Christian man. I've never seen a lot of sermons on complacency or the application of my zeal, which is so funny because this should be the foundation of our spiritual life. The foundation of my spiritual life should be that spiritual pot of my whole life. That should be the top like burning hot plate underneath my spiritual pot. That should be like a foundational tenet in anything in our life where we consider lukewarm. Well, it's not because we don't have a fervor. It's just because we've taken that fervor and zeal and applied it elsewhere in our life. Okay, I love that thought. I'm going to introduce another concept for you guys. Here is one of those complacency ideas that has infected us as men and led to passivity. I call this one a backseat driver complacency or a everything will work out according to God's will complacency. You see, the thought looks like this. God is sovereign and I am on his timeline it is all in his control. I'm going to just relax and do my thing because after all, God's got this. You see what the problem in that mindset is, that complacency, is we lose participation in his story. We depart from the responsibility of action. We depart from the responsibility of growing. God's story should call all of us right? All of our time, our attention, our heart and soul, and action. A faith that is built on the foundation of backseat driver complacency, God's got this, crumbles under pressure. Why? Because when that happens, that optimistic everything will work out idea, the problem with this is that the optimistic everything will work out just completely crumbles because Everything is supposed to work out right. The good job that's promised is just supposed to fall into my lap. The special person, the partner that was promised by God is just supposed to walk into my door. The mission, the people that I'm supposed to witness to, they're supposed to just randomly pop up in my life as I do everything I please. You know what's funny? 
God's call for us is to be co-laborers, participators, and actors in his story. We are not supposed to just sit and relax and hang out. At the end of the podcast today, I'm going to play a Tim Tebow clip that just got me off my butt and challenged me that I am here for a reason and a purpose, and that calls for action, okay? Here is how that complacency, that backseat driver, everything will work out. Here's what it teaches us as single men, right? Let's keep this a little bit dating focus. If you're a single guy and you're listening to this, here's the problem with complacency. I, and listen, especially when as a single guy, like participating in complacency, here's what it looked like. I trained myself seven days a week, 24 seven to indulge in myself first. Here is what I mean. It's okay to rest It's important to rest. It's very important to experience the easy yoke of Christ he offers in devotion to him. But what I mean by the word indulge, it's my free time and my zeal was exclusively devoted to pleasure. Sure, I mixed in devotions. Sure, I mixed in community groups that I would, you know, last minute spend 10 minutes prepping for. But my zeal, my pleasure, my fervor, it was devoted to football. It was devoted to golf. It was devoted to video games and Netflix. And the problem with that is that I taught myself passivity, complacency, and sidelining myself. I taught myself to fail and being proactive. I taught myself to fail in protecting, to fail in defending, to fail in leading. Let me ask you something, single Christian man listening to to this. How do you think that sounds for a husband? Do you think a husband who is complacent, who is inactive, who fails to protect, who fails to defend, who fails to leave, do you think that sounds like a great spouse? Do Do you think that sounds like a great leader? You see, when we are passive, our very mission is at stake. We are called on a great mission, the Great Commission, to partner and co-labor in the harvest of lost souls, to fight against the darkness of the world. We are called to die to self, to sacrifice and serve others, to confront fellow brothers in our body, to stand against injustice in the church and in the world. You see, the problem with passivity is that it infects our mission and the stakes are just so much greater than just yourself. The stakes are your community. The stakes are for your lost neighbor. The stakes are for your church. The stakes are for your future family. I love the idea of maybe warfare because as soldiers, we have so many great cinematic pictures of manly movies or war movies. You know, Remember the Titans, Gladiator. That's one of the Hall of Fame movies of our manliness movie cinema world. It has betrayal, abandonment, lone wolf gladiator on the character arc of vengeance and redemption. In all these movies, you know what they have in common besides the Avengers? (laughs) What are the soldiers doing in the downtime? They are training. They are working. They are on mission. These soldiers who are maybe the most talented, how would they fare in battle if they were just devoted to comfort and pleasure and just trained once a week, right? 
Jesus as soldiers did not call us to just be backseat drivers, you know, complacent. When he said it is finished, he was talking about the end game. The battle will be won, but he will return. In the meantime, guess what? The battle is taking place with very high stakes, okay? So the complacency, the infection of complacency or the misapplication of zeal has massive effects on our entire Christian life. So here is what we do. And I know that was all over the place, but I hope you guys are following when I say complacency is so much bigger than you. And we need to grasp that. We need to hold on to that. There's a lot at stake here, okay? So what do we do? You are a Christian man listening to this and you're saying, okay, I get it. It's a big deal. I misapply my zeal. How do I change it? Okay. Really, it's as simple as this. We need to channel our zeal. We need our joy power, our heart focus to be fully focused, right? When Jesus had his mission before him, right, that he was executing, that he was shouldering, that he was resisting and action, obeying the Father, do you know why he did it? It was for the joy set before him, he endured it. He had his eyes fixed on something. When Jacob labored for years and years and years for his Rachel, right, working under a terrible boss, working a really, really hard job, that was action. That was zeal. But his, his zeal was set for something greater. His zeal in that example was set for Rachel. Christ, do you know what his zeal was? Do you know what his mission, his joy set before him? It was you and it was me. So that is what he endured. He applied his zeal to something greater. So for you, man, listening to this, it's not a XYZ fix. I'm going to avoid these bad habits and change this in my life. It's an full application of that zeal that God created within you. Okay. God gives his children his zeal. He placed that zeal within you and he gives you his spirit to move beyond passivity, to move beyond complacency, to move beyond procrastination into a life that honors, that executes, that glorifies him. So here are four steps, four things we can do if you're taking notes about what we can do to to reapply your zeal. You ready? Number one, we need to revitalize our prayer life. We need to revitalize our prayer life. Our prayer life should not just be full of requests. God, I need this. God, I need this. God, our prayer life should be chock full of worship. It should be full of awe. It should be full of asking God for wisdom, for compassion, for grace, for humility, for meekness. It should be full of delighting in God's word. It should be full of delighting in God's creation. Our prayer life should be full of reflection, okay? We need to revitalize our prayer life with zeal. Zeal for God, zeal for fellowship with God. Number two, we need to apply zeal for God's word. I love this one. You ready? God's word must feed our passion. It must you ready? This is, I think, in Ephesians 2. It must minister to our hearts, the core of our heart. God's word should not. This is your litmus test, right? If you've been hearing God's word and sermons lately in scripture, if the words are just words in your mind that don't change you or transform you, 
this should be the alarms are blaring because you are listening with just your mind and you are not listening with your heart and soul. When we listen to God's word, it should be ministering and planting change and cutting and you know, sharpen than two-edged swords, cutting through to our soul and heart and impacting us, okay? Number three, I love this one. We just talked about this in TSA, our masterclass and our podcast, community. You've got to get into community. The best way to apply our zeal is to be around people who are applying their zeal, okay? They are provoking one another to love and good works, coals in a fire. Think about this picture. Think about a group of coals together versus that that coal that wanders off by its side. The coals together in that lump and that fire, they feed off each other. Together, they produce a great heat. What happens to that single coal that wanders off and is by itself? It grows cold. It loses its edge. It has no heat. It has no impact. Okay, we need to be around people who are more spiritually mature, more gracious, more zealous, more devoted, more disciplined, more loving. Like, I can't tell you, I love the image that Paul uses to be imitators. Be imitators of me. He literally is around new believers and says, if you don't know what to do, imitate me. Okay, if you guys need another example and golf and football and life. When you're around people who play better than you, that are more skilled, that are better, it also elevates you, okay? So community is super important. Number four, are you ready? Joy power over willpower. You guys are going to hear me talking about this a lot moving forward because I just listened to a sermon by Tim Keller about self-control and joy. Originally, I had number four as resist, right? Resist for something more, for something greater, but could you imagine if Jesus lived this life where he was just preaching to himself, resist this, resist this, endure this because I'm supposed to? No, it's for the joy set before him. He endured. He resisted. Use the joy power, that zeal that God planted into you. I know that the Bible, the life group, church, intimate prayer time, if you're in a place where it seems boring, unappealing, hard to get into, I totally understand This is where our heart, our mind, and soul must make the conscious decision to prioritize our zeal into our godly spiritual life. This is a deprioritization naturally of other things. So joy power is where our heart and mind and soul say, you know what? Tonight, nine o'clock at night, I have the choice to watch Netflix or do a devotion to go to bed I'm going to abstain from Netflix. I'm going to abstain from Netflix. I'm going to use my willpower. I'm going to just willpower myself into a good a good thing that I'm supposed to do to be a spiritual good boy. No, joy power says, man, I'm going to apply my zeal and my joy. And I just so strongly desire to connect with God tonight so much more than I desire to watch Netflix or escape. That is what I'm going to do. I'm going to joy power myself into connecting with God, into praying tonight, praying for my family and my friends to read, to listen to a sermon right before I end my day. I am going to joy power myself into that situation. You see the difference? One is like the avoidance, the willpower. I'm not going to eat that ice cream. I'm not going to watch the Netflix. I'm going to do this. I'm going to willpower myself. No, it should be a joy power into the zeal. That hot plate should be boiling right? Our spiritual water that we just can't help but desire to want to connect. Okay. So 
Number one, prayer. We need to revitalize our prayer life. Number two, God's word and must feed our passion. Number three, community and being provoked, provoking one another. And number four, number four, joy power over willpower. Now, since I'm not the best communicator in the world, I'm actually going to pass the microphone to end our podcast today. This was a Tim Tebow clip I saw that really struck me. Every time I listen to it, I'm just struck because for me personally, it just really, really ministered to my heart. It was really convicting because sometimes we just want to be cool and we want to hang out. So here's what Tim Tebow has to say. I love you guys. That's what we're going to end on. Have a wonderful day. Be blessed. And I love you. Okay, let's go. You weren't created. You don't exist to just hang out. To just meander through life. You are created for a purpose. God has a mission and a plan for your life. It's what we talk about in Ephesians 2.10. The good works which God prepared beforehand. The poem that he wrote about your life before you were ever born. And it's not just to be saved from something, it's saved for something. For good works. To be on the rescue team, to tell people, to love people, to care for people, to help people. You see, for some reason, in God's master plan, he wants us to be co-laborers with him. Not because we deserve it, but because he wants it. And you might feel, well, I, I don't feel adequate enough. You know what? Neither do I. I don't feel deserving enough, but you know what? I'm not. Say, well, you know, I don't feel equipped enough. Gosh, that's most every day for me. But it doesn't change what he has asked and what he has commanded us to do.